friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Well, coming up on the show, the challenge gets ugly this week as we have slowly realized we actually became zombie slayers, not Linux users. Yes, we loaded Linux on three barely alive systems, and it took a turn we didn't expect. We spent the last week plus living on 32-bit systems. We'll share the results of our challenge and why this might be the last chance to try this yourself. We'll also hear how it went for some in our audience, and we'll round it out with some great boosts, some picks, and a lot more. So let's go to all of us right now. Say good morning to our friends at Tailscale. Tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. Networking that is programmable and takes it to the next level. I've got no inbound firewall ports, and now, my friends, I'm not kidding you, I've got no reverse proxy. It's all just right on Tailscale. It's unbelievable the way you can build your own personal network. Go to tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged for 100 devices. And if you work out there in the enterprise, this makes enterprise VPN solutions look like old historic dinosaurs. It's so much smoother, and it'll integrate with your existing authentication system and groups and privileges and all of that. Tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. And before we go any further, a big time appropriate greeting to our Mumble Room. Hello, Virtual Lug. Welcome back. Hello. Happy New Year. Hello, Chris. Happy New Year. Hello, Brian. Happy New Year, everybody. We missed That's you guys. That's a lot of people. It's, it's been a while. It's Too nice. long. It's nice to have you back. As uh, we took some time off, we pre-recorded a little bit like we tried to do. We thought, well, we'll have a little extra time. We could do a little challenge over the holiday break. We thought, how hard could it be? But it turns out that in... Well, now 2024, trying to use 32-bit hardware was a bit more challenging than we expected. It all started with a boost, as these things so often do these days, from our friend Deleted. A 32-bit challenge. You know, at first, I thought it'd be fun. A little quirky. I haven't used 32-bit hardware in years, but, you know, come on, we were all kind of just using it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, how hard could it be? (laughs) But it seems like we all kind of got an early start. Yeah. And uh, as we got further and further along, it seemed like we might be hitting the last actually useful days. Like, if we had done this challenge in a couple of years, I think it could have only gone worse. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel, but I really firmly got the impression that we are now at the point in Linux's development where we, as a community, considerably have better support for ARM64 hardware than we do for 32-bit x86 hardware. Yeah, and especially at least for, um, you know, the, the modern apps. Oh, I've, yeah. I, you know, I'd be curious to see if you actually, like, go went and looked at repo sizes and that kind of thing, but for anything that's sort of in vogue or the silly Linux hipsters that we are that you want to use and you go to the release page or whatever and you look for your architecture, yeah, ARH64 is doing pretty well. And Yeah. Yeah, no. Like, almost everything now is packaged for ARM. Not everything, but almost everything is packaged for ARM64 and definitely for x86-64. That is not the same for 32-bit, and it's getting smaller and smaller. It, that that made it um, a lot more challenging. So just to remind everybody, the goal was to, A, build a fully functional 32-bit Linux-based desktop system, get a general desktop workflow for your day-to-day work going, Keep track of any apps you have to swap out. Keep track of your system resources overall just so we can talk about how loaded the system was. Any kind of like tricks you had to come up with to make this work, that sort of stuff. We did allow for hardware upgrades. So, for example, if you could, we allowed you to swap out 
spending rust for an SSD. If you could put more RAM in, you were welcome to. The requirements were you had to use the system for one week before the challenge wrap. For one five-day work week straight, you had to get your work done and your casual stuff done on a 32-bit system. If you failed to reach that simple goal, which turned out to be very tricky, <laughs> there was a bailout punishment. <laughs> if you can't stick with your 32-bit system, you're allowed to bail, but you need to get a free BSD desktop system working. Could be a VM. Could you know, be some would just call this an alternate challenge and maybe <laughs> not even a punishment. It was definitely a punishment and it definitely was an alternate challenge. Brantley, how did the 32-bit challenge go for you? I should start with the hardware. Let's describe yeah. this hardware. So I've got it here in my hands. I think my version is a little less clunky than yours. Uh, I came across this little netbook from a friend of mine by accident. She um, is not a technical user and said, hey, Brent, this like old computer that I have, I want to extract some information off of it. I said, oh, yeah, I can probably help with that. And this was when the 32-bit challenge idea was just beginning to come to fruition. And I thought uh, it would be pretty easy to extract information off this laptop. And it turned out my USB keys that I have ready, you know, at the ready at all times, complained about an architecture mismatch when I was trying to boot Linux on here. So I thought, aha, I've got my machine. So um, it turns out this thing's actually pretty slick. It's small, portable. It's a netbook. I've never owned a netbook. I always wanted to. Uh, this one's been in my cabin now for a couple months. So it's been, I don't know, a throwback in a way. Uh, this thing's an Atom N2600, 1.6 gigahertz, uh, which feels really old. The model is an HP Mini 110, I guess 4100. This particular one is only available in Canada. Oh, fancy you. <laughs> and I misplanned a little bit because this thing has one gig of RAM. Uh-oh. It, it can accept two, and I never thought to even order an upgrade or try to find some old RAM around. Oh, so, Brent, one gig. Oh, Brent. Oh, yeah, when came the time to actually spend time on it. I had upgraded the solid state drive just for this purpose, but then I realized I'd really missed the boat here with the, with the Ram and also without time to upgrade it. So, um, uh, one gig of Ram was my uh, lifestyle for the last little bit. Holy. And I'm complaining about two. Now I, I now I feel fancy. Insane. Insane. Luckily my laptop is circa like 2012. So it's not on the older side of 32-bit stuff. It's on the, I guess, modern, if you will, side of 32-bit things. But the very first approach I took was just just going for a dive into all of the various distros that we might throw on here. I really came into this thinking I would find a new favorite esoteric distro. You know, trying the Debians might seem too easy, maybe, or the Nixes. Um, so I thought I'm going to, I'm going to find something a little unusual and that's kind of going to be the fun of it. Uh, it turns out there are many options, but it took me a long time to find one that worked. So I, you know, looked at Slacks and Rhino and Puppy and Hyperbola. I don't know if you guys did all of this, but I, my downloads folder for distros is now quite a bit larger than it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did do a little distro shopping for sure. Um, and I, I also, a couple of times downloaded an ISO thinking it was a 32-bit ISO and then realized it wasn't. Oh, no. Did, <laughs> did you only realize it after you put it on yeah. USB drive? Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. 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 Oh, the worst way. Mm -hmm. the worst yeah. Way. Um, so I kind of did a similar thing, although I didn't try um, I didn't try some of the same distros you tried. So that's interesting. That's great, though. I'm glad we got a little cross-exposure. 
I feel like some of them, like Puppy and Slacks, I downloaded just for the nostalgia factor. Right. And I thought, well, I could, I could, you know, these aren't necessarily new to me. I could try something new, new. Uh, and I ended up landing on Crunchbang Plus Plus, which is the sort of spiritual successor to Crunchbang. I don't know if either of you have investigated Crunchbang back when it was, I'll I'll say in its heyday. I mean, it sure. stopped mm-hmm. being developed in 2015, but um, I kind of fell in love with it in around 2010 when I was first getting into Linux full time. And I don't know what it is about it. It's maybe the dark mode or the simplicity. And I just always loved it. So learning that uh, Crunchbang++ exists, I thought this is going to be the one for me. So for those who don't know it, it's Debian-based, which is handy. Now, in this case, Debian 12, so fairly new, which means Linux 6.1 and GTK 4.0. So like modern, Very nice. right? Yes. I thought this is going to be a good start. That was one of my concerns going into this is that I would end up with some old kernel or old packages and I would feel like I was compromising. So that's really great to hear you got some nice modern stuff. Yeah. And I feel kind of lucky because the processor on this thing isn't, you know, super, super old. Um, So it could handle, I guess, what you can call a more modern, you know, libraries and system and stuff. Now at Crunchbang++ uses OpenBox for its desktop environment. So it's pretty darn lightweight. And I ended up learning to love it. Like the, right on the desktop has Conky. Do you remember Conky? Oh yeah, of course. So it's sort of showing constantly the system resources, but also, which I really appreciated, right on your desktop wallpaper, just a giant list of keyboard shortcuts. Ah, smart. Even though it's very minimal, so you might not even realize that there's a menu because there isn't. Uh, well, there isn't until you right click. Um, there's just a bunch of keyboard shortcuts that instantly are discoverable, which is really, really nice. Uh, as far as performance goes, a fresh boot on this thing, 560 megs of RAM is used up, which is exactly, well, slightly half. over half of what I had available, <laughs> <laughs> which is worrisome. Conky itself just sitting there took 4% of the CPU. Like, so some really basic programs are eating up considerable chunks of the hardware and i would imagine you both and everyone who tried this challenge felt the exact same way now unfortunately i had some issues on my very first update of the system uh, the update failed in a catastrophic way <laughs> which was not a good start of course this happened to so you so in it ram fs just could not complete which is as we know kind of quite bad um now it's for a strange reason, the error message included that uh, the Raspberry Pi firmware was missing uh, where it could be installed, which is very odd. So I just removed that Raspberry Pi firmware because I was thinking, well, I'm definitely not on a Raspberry Pi. And sure enough, everything got fixed. So that was fairly straightforward, <laughs> but not a good start. But I did notice that it was complaining of the processor a little bit. And so I thought I'd look into it and I ran an old LS CPU and it turns out that my processor is indeed 64-bit compatible despite being an i686. Brently. Yeah. Oh no, so you were on a 64-bit system by accident? <laughs> so I was like setting up this machine and everything and like totally diving into this. Now, so but, but were you running so so we could do 32 and 64. So were you just running like a 32-bit OS Install. on your 64-bit hardware? You know, people did that for a while. Remember that it was a way 64-bit systems came for quite a while? 
Well, and so this was a crushing moment because <laughs> I thought, geez, I've just ruined the whole thing. But the way... <laughs> The way I even came to including this computer in part of this challenge was that running an AMD 64 version of like Ubuntu on this thing complains about an architecture mismatch. And the reason is, is it is an i686 processor, but it's a 64-bit version of an i686, which I think only existed from what I'm hearing for like a year or so, right at the end of the transition between the processors. So I was deceived and uneducated and ended up by default failing our challenge. Man, so did you do the right thing? Well. Did you go into FreeBSD territory? <laughs> did you? I, I thought about it for a really long time about what I should do because I had yeah. this hardware still that was in the spirit of running, you know, these older machines on limited resources. You were running the 32-bit install. So it's a technicality. Right. But then I thought I need to also be transparent about the fact that I'm not actually running the right hardware. Uh, so at that point, I decided, yeah, okay, the right thing to do is to throw myself into the BSDs. And that was also a struggle. <laughs> I am BSD uninitiated. Now, we have some friends who are definitely steeped in BSD and love it for some reason or another. Uh, so I kind of switched my hats and thought, okay, well, I'm just going to dive into BSD and this is going to be my adventure. Uh, but I did not want to just dive into the build your own BSD because I thought I would probably fail miserably at that. So I went out looking for pre-built desktop like versions of the BSDs. It turns out there are a few. GhostBSD is one. We know about Hello Systems as well. Uh, it turns out none of those have 32-bit versions because I still wanted to try to stay on the 32-bit versions oh, what of a the software. Well, I needed to do right. what I could do to like redeem myself here. Yeah, right? I feel there is some redemption there. Uh, it turns out none of those, well, only one of those pre-made ones I could find actually had an i386 version, which was Midnight BSD. But it looked pretty cool. Like it's uh, an XFC desktop. And you're basically installing FreeBSD the way it typically does. And then on your first boot, there's a script that runs that just sort of automates the installation desktop components for you. And I thought, this is exactly what I need. I can like go through a text-based installation and make a few decisions there. But I did not feel comfortable, even after reading the BSD handbook, of doing my own graphics stack. So it was great. The install went great. And then I did a boot and never got a desktop environment. Oh. Despite trying three, four times to go through the process. So it, that failed miserably as well. Oh, Brent, I'm sorry. It hurts. It hurts. I suppose this is how we should have expected it would, have, would go for you, right? Well, and this is across days and days of tinkering on this. <laughs> <laughs> So I certainly came out with many lessons, but I don't feel like I ever got to the point where I actually could accomplish work on this system. So uh, many, many a distro has <laughs> come across this thing. And I did try free, FreeBSD like vanilla and attempted to go through that process and failed miserably as well. So I apologize, but I failed our challenge miserably. What, uh, what speed USB ports does that thing have? 
this version of the CPU can handle three, but they didn't uh-huh. even bother with that. So this thing has three <laughs> USB two, yeah, uh, uh, USB, and it also has VGA only. Uh, I guess yes. then it could do HDMI, but they decided no. Nah, who needs Why? It? Why who needs? No one has those cables. Yeah, there's nothing like good old USB two or even one when you're trying a bunch of different distros. Mm-hmm. You forget just like how sluggish those live environments are. Oh, it hurts just for the windows to come up. And with the number of iterations of installation processes I went through, it's just like hours of my life are gone now. Uh, but I got to say, I did sort of still end up falling in love with a few distributions, which was the point, or at least one of my goals. So in the BSDs, I did discover Ghost BSD, which seems pretty great. It's got a Mate desktop and it's a made in Canada. So I feel like I might actually dive much deeper into that and give it a shot at some point. Maybe not on this hardware. <laughs> oh, chief BSD correspondent. Well, I'm not promising anything. But also Crunchbang Plus Plus, I got to say, like, was amazing. I really enjoyed it. It was nostalgic. It was very responsive on this hardware. And it might be something that I want to stick around. So um, in that way, I really enjoyed this challenge. And it was a lot of fun. I would say also Crunchbang Plus plus looks like a great candidate for a cloud desktop. I was thinking maybe a notes PC. Oh, okay. All right. Well, stay a while and listen. Let me tell you a bit about the hardware Wes and I used for our 32-bit challenge. It was a Dell Inspiron 6400, described by one reviewer as quote back in the day a low-priced, durable office notebook. It is particularly interesting for a businessman, but also for private uses. I don't know which one I'm more excited about. The uh, 6400 was released on August 31st, 2007, which, my friends, is 16 years ago. This laptop is older than all of my children. That's considerably (laughs) older than the one I was using. Ouch. Uh, It was very generously – they both were identically – two two identical units mostly – were boxed up and sent into the show by Spazzy C. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, they have the Intel T2300 with two cores running at 1.6 gigahertz. Yeah, none of those, you know, fancy hyper threads or anything. There's just two, just two cores. Yeah. And they feel it. They really, like, you really appreciate how multi-threaded a lot of things are now. Like, Linux is good at throwing a lot of the back-end things on the uh, cores. Yeah, this thing was at uh, 64 nanometers of an architecture. It's a big boy. The Rock and Intel 945 GM embedded graphics in this one as well, which uh, you're not getting any desktop <laughs> compositing with that. Uh, it's just basically all on the CPU. My my rig, unfortunately, had a dim slot die, so I had uh, 2,002 megabytes of RAM. Uh, Wes's rig had 300 I, I like that you changed it. Wes's rig, rig had four gigs of RAM. <laughs> <laughs> he had four gigs of RAM. It makes a difference. Uh, resolution of 1280 by 800. Um, not the best screen. No. Not exactly great off-access viewing. <laughs> and, you know, it's got a um, a pretty wobbly. It was like Brent's yes. uh, HP. You yes. know, a wobbly screen setup. So you kind of got to keep retilting it if you want the colors to look normal. Yes. Um, so this was our hardware. And uh, Wes, how did your 32-bit challenge go? Honestly, a lot better than I feel like it had any right to, at least compared with uh, Brent's experience. Uh, I did do a little bit of distro shopping because you, you kind of have to with 32-bit. We also, um, you know, 
Debian had been suggested a bunch. So I think we all knew one of us was going to have to go down that that road. I guess Brent kind of tried. I thought it'd go a little more interesting. So okay. I, I tried Magia 9. Oh, very good. Okay. Magia. I'm very glad you did, actually. I'm glad one of us got to Magia. Good. Yeah, well, it kept coming up in the list. I did consider Alpine. Um, sure. Because okay. I've been meaning to try Alpine as a desktop just because some folks seem to like it. I think both Brent and I were betting you'd do Nix OS. Yeah. I was thinking about it. Uh-huh. You'd been doing some early experimenting with Gentoo. Right. And that kind of informed me for, you know, what building uh, all of your software might be like. Uh-huh. And I had done some reading, and it, it seems like the default pre-built binaries you can take advantage of with Nix um, from Hydra and the CI systems. Well, they stopped... Supporting 32-bit. So, you know, stuff that you could totally build with Nix, no problem to if it supports 32-bit in the code. But it's basically... You're going to be building it. Yeah, you're going to be building. I now, gotcha. you know, down the line, I think if we were doing this longer I, or I had intention to actually support this machine, then I would consider maybe trying to do like a build system or something yes. like a VM or like set up for cross-building. I want to mention, I think both of us would consider that. It wasn't viable for the five-day challenge to, to build a build server that did a 32-bit build environment like in a container on a 64-bit system or something, but or VM even. I don't know. But it, if we were actually going to put these into production, I think that is a route you both you both of us would go. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of fun to set up. On you used point. to do it. I used to do it. All right. So uh, Magia 9, uh, I, what's the desktop environment there? Well, um, if you go with the 64-bit version... Uh, then you can choose between GNOME, KDE, mm-hmm. or XFCE. If you're going 32-bit, they only offer a pre-built ISO with XFCE. So I'm uh-huh. going with XFCE 4, uh, 4.18, in fact. Okay. But Magia 9, it was just released in August of 2023, and it's it's pretty gosh darn modern. I mean, you've got a 6.5 kernel on there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, It has a ton of packages that you're going to want. Let's see. I wrote down the number here. Uh. 26,876 packages. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't have everything for 32-bit because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't support it. But by and large, when I needed a random tool or just something, it was there. And it's got DNF, which is a great package manager that I really don't mind using. So I was kind of surprised. Like, I felt like I almost cheated in a way because it felt so nice and modern. Jeez, DNF, yes. Linux 6.5? Ah, now, Magia was kind of interesting because it was a little more of um, like a Cadillac distro, you know, like it includes a lot in there. It's got its own yes. control center that pops up. Yes. I was surprised. I'm, I've never used it before. And uh, it felt comfy right from the get-go. The They've got a nice wiki going. There's a lot of sort of guides written with the intention to get you set up that ex- explains the different repositories they've got available. They've got a lot of backports and updates. They have a, a nice guide for like the various ways you can install software. So they t- tell you about AppImage. They tell you about Flatpak. They do mention that if things offer support for RPM, you can just download that if it's the kind of package that's going to provide its own dependencies. Uh, they did recommend if you needed to get kind of random stuff working. Fedora was your best bet compatibility-wise. But besides the 32-bit specific challenges, I was a, I was a happy little desktop user. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really sounds nice. I'm afraid to say I think you may have had the best experience, not to give away mine, but a bit. Yeah, so software availability wasn't a huge problem, except um, Electron doesn't really support 32-bit. Yeah. I think sometime in 2019 or 2020 that was dropped. So uh, I'll be honest, I did have to port a fair amount of things to um, the web app. Now I had a nice modern Firefox, so that was easy, but uh, things like Bitwarden, Slack, Telegram, Element... Uh, at times, that was all happening in tabs in my web browser, which 
I don't know. I kind of end up doing like uh, on my work machine and on things that aren't my main rig uh, often anyway. So I'm used to that. It's really not the ideal workflow, but uh, I could make it work. Wait, wait. I got a question about that, Wes. You're, you were able to have more than one tab open in your web browser? <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, I was doing pretty good on RAM most of the oh, time. Geez. Come on. I got down to like maybe 15% um, sort of available, uh, you know. You know, you know what? You know what? I get so mad. <laughs> I get so mad. <laughs> you got so lucky with the four gigs of RAM, West. Like, it was a luck of the draw. We pulled them out, and uh, I took machine one, you took machine two. I had a sense, though, because yours had, like, all the cool stickers. Yes, it did. <laughs> so, I got the pimped-down version, and I love it. So then I imagine, other than having to swap out some apps, you were able to get work done on this machine? I was, yeah. I did even tried to get a dev environment set up. I mean, I wasn't going to be doing my day job on it, but for, you know, after-hours projects. Magia already had a modern modern Python and Java-installed Clojure was even packaged, so that was great. <laughs> the main issue was the editor. Uh, I've been using VS Code a bunch lately. Sure. Um, mostly just because of some of the really nice plugins. Yeah, again, another Electron app. So uh, I actually I actually went with Emacs. Been a while since I used the old girl, but... Uh, nice swap. That's it's a, a nice swap. editor. It's a good swap. That is a decent one. I, for my solution there, is uh, I already had a VS Code web instance. Oh, nice. And so I just made that a little bit easier to get access to and pinned it. Oh, that's a nice idea. I did think, you know, for a lot of these things, like with Telegram, there's... CLI options out there. In theory, it's open source. Someone has an Ubuntu PPA with a 32-bit build. You know, the, the Telegram web clients kind of recently got a, an update, though, and it's really not bad. Yeah, true. It's serviceable. So I was thinking, it's like you kind of got a few different options, right? You got like, can you build it yourself? Is there a web version you can sort of host? Or you got to pick something else? I did try uh, Laps, that um, Rust sort of VS Code-like editor we tried a little while ago. Right. Uh, no pre-built 32-bit version. But it was packaged in Nix. And uh, you know who does provide a 32-bit version? <laughs> Nix? The determinant installer. Oh, no oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So I ran that. I got Nix installed. That that worked. That's great. To do a little test, I, I noticed Jeff in our, um, we had a little 32-bit chat going, and Jeff had been talking about tail scale. That was one thing not pre-packaged in Machia, but I know that's packaged in Nix, of course. Uh, so I went and gave a sample build, and it worked. It took like 20 minutes because it first had to build Go, uh, and then it could build tail scale. But after that, it worked just fine. Nice. So I thought after getting that to work, I was like, okay, try this this editor thing, build it. It's a Rust app. It got Rust going, but Laps failed to build. I don't know what was happening. It said something like maybe this was caused by disk space, but it didn't actually seem to be disk space. Doing those builds definitely made me feel the age of the system. You know, it was nice that I could get TailScale to work. Good. I think what I, I'd be hesitant to do NixOS proper without like a build farm support. Yeah. But just doing Nix, it was a little more tolerable. Um, just because it's yeah. like you could you leverage all the binary stuff you can find in your distro to start with, and then if there's a few apps that you absolutely need and you don't mind paying the build co- time cost, and it, maybe they don't update that often, or you're willing to update on a you know every so often sort of schedule. Well, and it's not a this or that either, because you're you're combining you, at that point you're combining the Nix repository with your distro's native repositories as well, so you can check is this packaged by my distro? Is this packaged by Nix? It gives you a lot. I mean, that's that's. Pretty good odds, at least. Yeah. Now, of course, there are a bunch of stuff in Nix where they just download the package from Upstream on GitHub, so yeah. there's not one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and seems to say that there's a lot of things that even if they could, like, the you know, the codes move beyond 32-bit support, too. So you still actually have to have support in the Upstream project, you know, even if you're going to be building it yourself, which can be tricky. 
Well, I think that's been a big theme is it's extremely tricky is it's an area I don't even think is on most of their radars. No, because who's asking for these anymore? Right, right. That did, was the big realization I had. I did try using containers. I figured, mm-hmm. like, how is that going to go? Um, but Docker yep. and Podman were packaged in Magia, so that was super easy to get going. <laughs> you run into a similar problem where, you know, anything that's pre-built, you're using a pre-built container, uh, no one's publishing 32-bit container images. Right, I got a couple. Oh, but yeah. And it'll pull them down. There'll be no error when it's pulling them down. It won't say, hey, you're pulling down a 64-bit image. It'll just fail to execute. Yeah, which we discovered. We'll get to that in a little bit. But if you're, you know, you got something where you're comfortable building itself and you, you know, yeah. you found some 32-bit base images you can use, then yeah, I mean, containers can work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I uh, you can't like use the lazy script on Docker's website to install Docker if you do that because they don't make it available for 32-bit <laughs> x86. Oh, it is yeah. available for ARM, but mm-hmm. not, but Debian packaged it for 32-bit and I was able to get it that way. So, how I ended up on Debian, how I went from Gen 2 to Debian, though, is quite the story, and we'll get there. But first, we have a few items that we need to take care of because there's big events coming up just around the corner. Scale and NixCon North America, the very first, March 14th and the 15th, are up first. We are on our way. We are really doing well on our goal to cover the first NixCon in North America and then hang out at Scale. We have a goal of 8 million sets because we're sending the crew into California. <laughs> we're going to get an Airbnb. We're driving there. we got to pay for gas. Gas is outrageous in California. Uh, it's actually kind of ambitious yeah, overall because we're trying to completely uh, audience fund this trip. So we came up with the idea of 8 million sats-ish. And so far, we have raised 3.7 million sats, and we're at 47% of our goal of 8 That's million sats. That's probably 48 now because we got a few late boosts that I didn't get time to update in that exact count yet. Okay. So oh, good. even slightly higher. Great. We're, we're, we're halfway there now. So I think we're uh, we're almost to maybe Mount Shasta. Maybe uh, somewhere in that Oh, that's area. a fun one. Weed, <laughs> California. Just I don't know why. Maybe we're just in Weed, California. <laughs> Come meet us there if yeah. we run out of gas. <laughs> uh, well, we are trying. If we would love, we would love a boost. We I got. I now also have added a scale specific boost sound effect. If you boost in with a scale boost, we'll play that as a thank you. And uh, we're really looking forward to hanging out with everybody. It's been far too long. Then just a little bit down the road, if you will. April 26th through the 28th, it is Linux Fest Northwest. We're, of course, going to be there. It's our biggest event of the year. Um, it'll be probably our last event that is planned of the year. I'm sure there'll be others, but it's our last planned event. And just before Linux Fest Northwest, Texas Linux Fest, April 12th through the 13th, we're going to be there. I'm not really sure more than the details of that, but I know I'm feeling at this point we're pretty confident we're going to be there. Hopefully there for the Eclipse 2 is what the plan is. Uh, so we have back-to-back events, really, March and then two in April. First is Texas Linux Fest, the 12th and the 13th. And then April 26th and the 28th is Linux Fest Northwest. If you're listening, Call for Papers for Linux Fest Northwest is January 9th. It ends at midnight. I'd love to see some Nix topics in there, some health ho- self-hosting topics. We know you're working on cool projects, audience. Yeah, Tell really, us about it. It's a, they want a wide range of topics. Anything's really welcome. So go over there and submit your talks. It's a bunch of events we have coming up, and we don't really know what the budget looks like for the rest of the year. We don't really know how anything's looking for the rest of the year really beyond this. So we're not really committing to anything beyond these three events right now. So if you can make it to one of those, we would really, really love to see you. 
Collide.com slash unplugged. If you're in IT, if you deal with security and user support, you've got to hear this. This would have changed my career. And I know you've noticed there's a reoccurring pattern. Pretty much all recent data breaches and security compromises and leaks And it's often employees of the company play a role. Unpatched software, maybe add a compliance antivirus, data mining slash ransomware, compromise slash fished credentials. It's kind of just a never-ending list, and it's not really the end user's fault, is it? I mean, if we're honest, really, the technology has failed them. We need to do better and give them more adequate preventative measures. That's where Collide comes in. It is really a solution to this challenge that has been really just getting, I mean, in a way worse since the Bring Your Own Device initiative. Not not that it's been all bad, but it hasn't been all great for IT security. And some places, you know, they've tried to go really hard on this. Collide really just kind of, I think, strikes the perfect balance because it's all about preventative. So when the user goes to connect to your cloud app, that's when they get checked. Are they compliant with antivirus? Are they using credentials that have been phished? And before they're allowed to log in, before they're allowed to even compromise your network or your app, they have to fix it. And they get messaged on your communication platform with messaging that just makes sense. It's clear. It works with your processes and your standards. And it helps them like, okay, go get this antivirus. Go change this password. Stuff that would have required a ticket (laughs) that then would have had to have someone in IT respond to and it just would have taken way longer and burned IT time and resources. Clyde just cleans all that up. It's really a slick solution. And I think if I would add something like this, I would have probably, I mean, who knows? But I probably wouldn't have burned out or maybe I could have lasted longer. You know, it's, it's really a cool tool and it empowers employees to look at all of their fleet from a single dashboard for Linux, Mac, or Windows, all a single pane of glass so you can run reports, make sure everything's good to go. And it gives employees the power to fix their own systems without burdening IT. Go experience this solution. Go to collide.com slash unplugged. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash unplugged. Go get a demo into how seamless this is. It's a great way to support the show and just get an idea of how magical this is. If you work in security, if you deal with IT's tickets or support, if you're in IT, if your company has Okta, you've got some kind of solution now that isn't doing it for you, go see the difference. K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash unplugged. Well, Chris, you hinted at your challenge, and it feels like maybe Wes was doing a different challenge than the rest of us. But I'm curious how your challenge went. Oh, it went slow. It was slow and brutal. Just like, here's an example. For this system to log in, it takes as long as my desktop, which isn't a very nice system. It takes as long as my desktop does to actually power up, post, boot, and log in. In that amount of time for my desktop, I can get just logged in to the desktop on my laptop. It's real slow. Uh, The two gigs of RAM is one thing. The other issue is... The Wi-Fi chip's a little bogus in this guy. Oh, my so, Wi-Fi worked. Oh, no. no problem. I mean, I'm using it at the studio today. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> sometimes I can see networks on it sometimes. Most of the time, not. So no problem. Went on the old Amazon and ordered myself one of them little uh, Linux-compatible dongles. You know, just a little, little bitty-bitty guy. Problem solved, right? Put that guy in there. Well, first of all, these things are so small. They don't get the best reception. No. So there's that. And then... I don't know if these side ports are USB 1 or USB 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Either way, they're definitely not USB 3. They're definitely slower than my Wi-Fi and internet connection. And I was getting like 300 kilobits a second on my transfer. Oh, man. Brutes. So when I set the machine up, I used Ethernet, but very slow overall. So I realized pretty quickly, I need to make this thing feel like home. I got to make this comfortable because I'm in this to win it. And if FreeBSD is looming out there, I'm going to do whatever it takes <laughs> to prevent me going down the FreeBSD route. <laughs> so I need to get, I got to get myself at home, right? So that way I'm in it for the long haul. I learned this from alone. You know what? I, I realized the participants in the, in the reality show alone, they do the best that so they really build a great home. So that way they're comfortable when it rains and it's stormy and they can stay dry and get good rest. So I took this survivor mentality and I applied it to the laptop. And so I wanted modern software. I didn't want to feel like I was compromising. So I wanted to get the latest kernel, the latest user land tools, and the latest lean mean desktop I could get. Yeah, this sounds like you. Right. <laughs> and along the way, I'll have super optimizations. This feels like the sweet spot for Gen 2. And I used to run Gen 2 on systems basically this speed. How hard could it be? Something tells me that was a whole Chris ago. Yeah, well, I've learned now. I have learned now. So, first thing I did, I busted out one of my old, really nice, heavy-duty laptop stands. And I put this thing <laughs> up on a laptop stand. Put it up there at eye level. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking right at it like I would one of my big screens. I get myself the launch keyboard. I want it to feel oh. real good. Plug it in. Oh, launch keyboard's USB 3. <laughs> so I... So uh, that's not going to work. Unplug, I unplug the launch keyboard. I go find myself like an old USB 1 keyboard, but okay, whatever. I get myself a mouse, an old mouse with a wire. Get myself the keyboard. And because <laughs> I was trying a Logitech first, like a Logitech uh -huh. wireless mouse. And like one out of every three clicks would register. And I was like, is the uh. machine lagging? <laughs> <laughs> Am I out of memory? Like what's going on here? <laughs> No, no, it's just, like, for some reason, incompatibility with the USB port. So I went and got, like, literally the Amazon Basics wired USB <laughs> mouse that I had around here. Yeah. Plug that in, and it's working. And then I went out to set up the right environment. My first choice, out of the gate, for the reasons I stated, was Gen 2. And I've done this before. I figured, what a, what a great hack. 2023, 2024, to have the latest and greatest Linux software on a 16-year-old rig. That's only a story you could tell in the free software world. And then I had a realization that when you want to build software, like Wes mentioned, you have to download the dependencies. And that, in today's world, when you download just the build dependencies that you'll just actually throw away when you're done, it is an unbelievable amount of downloading. And when you combine the fact that, A, half of this challenge I was out in the woods, and I didn't have very good connectivity for some reason this time, so, like, the downloads were horrible anyways. And then when I got here to the studio, it was no, no much better, practically. I started running the clock out of time with Gentoo and I started to panic <laughs> because I was spending my whole time like tweaking Gentoo <laughs> trying to get to just a usable state and then downloading build dependencies and then building the build dependencies yeah. Oh, yeah oh man oh man and I realized I need to get five days in at least consecutively so I pivoted and I pivoted to good old Debian 12 and I really worked at it I wanted it to feel like home and God bless Debian's 32-bit support. Jeez, it was like a breath of fresh air. I mean, if it supports it, right? Like the Debian archives, there's there, some yeah. software. Mm -hmm. And then so many things that, you know, work with Debian. Yeah. Yeah, so many guides. And, and, and because it's just the Debian community culture, 
there's still a fair amount of 32-bit users out there. So you can actually find 32-bit relevant discussions. Wow. Yeah, I was actually never really stranded with any kind of guides or how-to or information I needed to look up when I was on Debian 32-bit. It just, I kept tweaking at it, trying to get it right, trying to get it right, trying to get it right. And I became aware of the fact that I wasn't actually working on this system. I was just tweaking the system. (laughs) And then you came in literally on like day six, day six or seven, where I had like five or six days left. And you said, are any of us trying Linux Mint Debian Edition? They have a 32-bit release. And I thought, you know, I'm never a Mint guy. No. But this might be my moment. Because what I'm looking for is an opinionated take on the desktop. Because right, because if you just kind of go in Debian, you're getting a pretty plain. Yeah, and if I were going to use this as a long term work machine, that might be the way to go. I wanted to use this for five days, and you just I wanted needed it to work. You needed it to be. If yeah. I click on the Windows Share in the File Manager, I want to see the Windows Network. I don't want to go. Oh crap! Right, I got to go install SMB and SMB client. I got to go set. This. <laughs> oh right, I don't want any of that. I just want to get to work. I have five days now because I've run the clock out. Right. And I wanted a nice file manager. And I want all this kind of stuff that Mint just brings in there. So I put Linux Mint Debian Edition on there. And uh, first of all, really nice. Second of all, went with Cinnamon at first because I thought I can lean and mean this thing down. Yeah. I still like it after all these years. And even after all the leaning and meaning and turning off the compositing and all of that, it just never really got responsive enough for me to use it. So I bailed and I did like one of those Debian moves where you have like the task cell yep. selector. And I went full XFCE mode. Hey, all right. Yeah, buddy. Uh, But it was nice because it was XFCE basic, but with all of like the Mint apps and stuff, that was a nice combination. And I tweaked XFCE a little bit to just kind of help me understand like where my memory was at and my swap pressure was at and all that kind of stuff. And pretty quickly after that, Linux Mint Debian Edition with XFCE, that combination, I pretty quickly settled right in and got to work. It just sort of clicked for me. So then I had to start a strategy of reducing disk I.O. and memory usage as fast as possible because, look, Mint worked great for me, but it's not the leanest distribution out there. Like sometimes just the update manager in the background is like taking 240 megs of at least virtual RAM. (laughs) So I had to get to work. So I set up Z-Swap and I disabled completely my traditional disk base swap. And then I experimented with a swappiness around 80 to even over 100 sometimes. And Z-Swap is a kernel feature that really provides a compressed write-back cache inside your RAM. So it takes your swap, allocates some of your RAM dynamically, and it basically makes a a, a RAM disk for your swap file that is – and you set the compression type. I I think I did – you know, uh, uh, was Z, uh, whatever, whatever the Z – Z standard, I think? Yeah, I did that because there's a couple of different options, and that's sort of like the mid-range – for speed and compression. And so you get a compressed space in your RAM that you can swap to. So you sort of reduce the penalty for swapping. Again, now keep in mind, I turned off my disk space swap. Right, yeah. So when you do swap, it's only to this special memory. In RAM. And then I tell the system with the swappiness variable, ramp up your your preference to swap. Ah, that way most stuff is going to get compressed. Yeah, so only really my active applications are in system RAM. And then everything else essentially ends up inside Z-Swap. And it's pretty straightforward to get going. There's a couple of different ways you can get at it, but there is one package you'll recognize. It's like Z-Swap configure. And if you install that, that's the more kind of walks you through it approach. So I'd recommend that. 
And then inside Firefox, you can actually go to about colon memory and tell it to free up tab memory and get it to dump and reduce memory. And oh, I had to do that. Oh, that's a nice trick. Yeah. Yeah. That was one method. Just close Firefox when I needed to open up another app was another method. And then I wonder what you think of this approach, Wes. I went for a specialized out of memory killer. And I, I might have gotten in over my head because this is not a territory that like I'm very well versed in. But I went for this no-hang memory killer. Ooh, fun. I don't think I've tried that one. No, I hadn't either. Um, but it does a couple of things I like that, for me, felt logical in a low-memory system. So this out-of-memory killer, it's watching your system. And as your system starts to run out of RAM, it'll start looking at applications it can kill. This is a situation I would find myself in frequently. And what I liked about <laughs> no-hang is it's pretty easy to say, I don't like the terminology, but it's basically it's got a victims list. And you give it a victims list, and these are the first things you start killing. Uh, that way you can kind of just like, I know this app is fine. I can reload it. It saves automatically, whatever. Right. You can do all kinds of different things in there, including it'll support C groups, um, certain environment variables, regular expressions. So you can get pretty fancy, fancier than I got. The other thing it supports is it communicates with me via my desktop notifications. So I get a notification of the app that was killed. So I'm not just in Doesn't the dark. Just, yeah, okay. Doesn't disappear out from under you. Which has been my experience with all the other out-of-memory killers. Right. You're like, oh, I, I guess that got killed. And again, this is a condition I find myself in a lot. It also starts giving me low memory warnings before it starts killing. So I can, like, close a tab. Or I can go do the about colon memory and dump some memory. It supports ZRAM as well. So it's, it's, it's ZRAM aware. Hmm. So I wanted something that worked with ZRAM. And it supports that semi-recent kernel pressure stall information the PSI support. Oh, yeah. Didn't Facebook help add that? Yeah. So it's wa- it's getting that data signal from the kernel to better understand how bad the situation is. Um, and it's also super easy to set up, too. It's, it's really nice. So that kind of kept me at a situation where I couldn't multitask, but I could easily dual task. <laughs> like, if I wanted to use, say... A matrix chat client, which I'll talk about here in a second, I would generally close Firefox first. Yeah, I was feeling the same. You know, <laughs> two cores, two tests, yeah. that's kind of what you do. And like you said, you got to swap out um, the Electron apps. I went for Slack for the places where I have to use that. I went with a pin Firefox tab. I swapped out uh, Neko for Element Chat, N-H-E-K-O. Oh, I tried that a little bit too. It was packaged in Magia. Yeah, it's, it's my new favorite matrix chat client. Right there, straight up. This is sort of a pick, too. Walk away, even on 64-bit systems, I'm going to be using this. It's a, it's Qt-based and C++. And you have an option right there at the login screen, which I think is vital on these systems to reduce animation. Oh, nice. And again, it's just, it's not, it's not um, Electron. Yeah. And it's seem, seemingly very, very well-featured. It doesn't have everything. Like, I think it's missing threads and polls. Uh, did you just get it from the Debian repo? Or? Yes. Nice. Okay. Yes. It's so nice that it's in the Debian repo because FlatHub has all this, but FlatHub doesn't have any 32-bit Gosh, stuff. Gosh, no. Uh, also, I'll give a plug, though, for NeoChat. May, maybe slightly less memory usage. Also cute-based. So that's nice. But Debian really was the MVP here. Um, FlatHub had nothing for us. A lot of websites have nothing for us. But Debian had it in the repo almost every time, like Docker, for example. Yeah. Both NeoChat and Neko were available in Debian. Lots of stuff was in the Debian package repo. It was kind of a nice little reminder about, you know, 
on these modern Linux systems. We're so happy sideloaded and getting all kinds of other places, but it was a it's a stark reminder of the value that some of these, you know, the distribution maintainers and packagers really do. It was a total mind shift because we are so often like rolling distros now, current packages, flat pack, developers updating directly. This is a complete flip back to the old paradigm. And where I have sort of been like, we don't need the maintainers anymore. I want the flat pack directly or whatever. I want to just download it from GitHub. This process made me deeply grateful. Yeah, I mean, if it's not packaged there, you're probably not getting it, at least not without probably a little more work. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the viability of my system was dependent on these maintainers. Deeply grateful for their work. And also for the people that are doing the work to package the 32-bit software, which you know there's not a lot of users for. I really came away from this reminded how grateful I am for that system and how it is still so viable all these years later. And wow, man, I don't know. I just really, really thought Debian was the MVP. I, I kept Mint. Um, <laughs> Mint came in clutch, as my kids would say. It does kind of use more memory. It's definitely not as lean as just going Debian would. So I would, if, if you're really trying to eke the most performance out, I'd probably go stock Debian because it's got that deep, deep repo. And there's so many different guides out there still. I just really, really, really thankful for their hard work just for that. And the Linux Mint Debian edition is actually really nice. It's really nice. So um, painful, though. So, so slow. When I came down here <laughs> to, like, fire all this stuff up, it was like, geez, man, it's just a whole nother level. Really appreciative of how far we've come now. You know, I didn't have the memory constraints you did, but you would. I was really feeling that CPU. Um, oh, yeah. Anything that was using a lot of JavaScript, like, you know, we use uh, hedge docs for our show notes and... Uh, Viewing a long doc, trying to make edits real quick in there. Really? It was painful. Oh, um, no. I mean, it worked, right? Like, I could get my work done, but it, a lot a lot of that, like, right, okay, I type and wait, and uh, I got I to gotta be a little more flexible with my expectations here. Yeah. Jeff, I know you were playing along at home with the 32-bit challenge game. Do you want to give us an idea how it went for you? Oh, it didn't really go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just tried a lot of stuff. I've got a couple of netbooks uh, similar to Brent's, but a bit older. Um, one's got an N280. It's a single core with hyperthreading, and the other's a 270, same single core hyperthreading. They're very, very close to each other. About 1.6 gigahertz, and both had a gig of RAM DDR2. Okay, okay, one gig, huh? <laughs> yeah, so I went with that. Um, one of them... It just it, there's something up with the system. It would kept uh, it kept stalling out on me. No matter what I did, it would just stall out. I tried to run like an NES ROM, and it would just stall out. I couldn't even do that. So hardware issue. I took it apart to repaste it. <laughs> I kind of wonder if putting it back together screwed with something, but it wasn't overheating. So huh. I don't know. Yeah, weird. But this other one, slightly slower. The 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 N270 Atom. It's running fine. I'm talking to you right now via Mumble with it. Wow. But. I'm I'm a pleb, you know, compared to you guys. I don't use Linux to make money. I don't use it for a living, right? This is this is fun for me. So finding things to do was kind of the hard part. Um and and just distro hopping was was just kind of the fun of it, right? Yeah, what all did you end up running? Yeah, I started with Ma Magia, just like you did. Mandriva was my first Linux love. That was my first Linux desktop. Oh neat. So when I saw that was 32 bit, you know, kind of a spiritual successor, I tried that and it it didn't go. It didn't go well at all. Way too much RAM on boot, and I decided to move on quick. I tried different desktop environments, even Window Maker. Just it just wouldn't work. So distro hopped for a while, and one of the real standout distros for me was Slit has. Very very lightweight, very fast, 
but very limited. <laughs> secure and high performance. Yeah, secure. Sure. That's what, what they brand them. Or are they running? <laughs> yeah. Booting up with Slitaz on this machine, I started with around 40, 45 megs of RAM. So gives Whoa. me lots of headroom to play. Yeah. The desktop environment or, you know, the window manager rather. Very, very fast. Uh, Midori on that thing really flew. But that's kind of where I hit a wall. I couldn't run Firefox on that system. And I couldn't get a browser that would render anything. So, and there's really nothing packaged for it, right? It's more of that. It's a little bit, I think, a little bit more versatile than, say, Puppy or DSL. But it's still in that realm. Looks like it's actively uh, updated, too. Here's a post today talking about the 5.0 rolling release weekly. I don't know. Yeah, it is rolling, but not much is packaged for it. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm a pleb, right? I'm not going to go through and try to compile every damn thing. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so I found myself on Antics, which is where I'm at now. And it is Debian-based, so a bit more. I've got Firefox on here. It's, it's a bit slow. The kernel's quite out of date. But, you know, I'm talking to you. I got a couple things open, and it's sitting at 230 megs of RAM. And I can run up to SNES games on this sucker. That is impressive. <laughs> all right, all right. Ben, you gave it a go. How'd it go for you? Yeah, it was it was pretty rough. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, I actually had kind of the same journey as uh, Brent and Chris. I started off, I uh, had a, an old Dell um, netbook, but ended up having the same kind of um, Intel Atom that ended up being 64-bit, so I knew I couldn't use that. And then I realized I had a kind of unconventional system, an iMac G3 PowerPC uh, from, I think, 1999. 256 megabytes of RAM ended up being the real pain point there. No doubt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like that's a would you do command line only? Like, yeah, um, I I got XFCE running, but I couldn't really do all that much in it. Um, it an old IDE hard drive, so I couldn't do much swap if it you know it'd be painfully slow. Um, so shout out to Lynx and Gomux um, web browser and Matrix client in the command line really really got me through. Wow. Yeah, uh, I bet. also the Mutt email client as well. Yes, I was Classic. hoping somebody used Mutt. Nice, Ben. Well done. Well done. Um, you didn't have to do free BSC. That's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> that's right? That's, isn't that it? I think, that's, I think that's the takeaway, right? I mean, my final thought is I'm really glad we did this when we did this. I feel like I probably won't ever use a 32-bit system again, an x86 32-bit system, and this was a nice send-off. The Mangia, the Magia approach, sorry, seems like uh, maybe one of the easier approaches I think Wes got a winner there, followed by, if you have the RAM, I think Linux Mint Debian Edition was uh -huh. really solid. Yeah. And it sounds like, Brent, you found a winner in CrunchBang++. So we all came away with some new distro favorites, at least. That's not so bad. So finding this whole challenge to be quite fun, you know, I'm thinking back at these systems, like, man, you know, we, we used that when I was a teenager, right? That was only 10 years ago, right? Wait, no, 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 that was 20 years ago, guys. Yeah. Um, 64-bit CPUs have been around a lot longer than than we think. And and then I was actually looking up, trying to remember what I ran back then. And even those systems, though they were running 32-bit windows, they were 64-bit CPUs. So finding hardware to even run it on, you know, Intel Atoms are kind of like the last 32-bit systems that they kept producing. And they're just, you know, crap. But uh, it was a lot longer than, than I remembered, that's for sure. 
Well, thank you to our Unplugged Core members. You guys are awesome. And if you're not a member yet, or if you've been a member and want to resign, you can get double the content and support the production directly. If you use the promo code 2024, it'll take $3 off a month forever. It's a limited time offer. I'm going to make 50 redemptions possible, Oh, which is not very many. Promo code 2024. Also, you can use the link in the show notes. It'll take you directly there. It applies to get an unplugged core membership, or if you want to get the Jupiter Signal membership and support all the shows and take three bucks a month off of that, you can. Again, limited to 50 people. New purchases, existing members can apply this as well as a thank you. Or if you're reactivating an expired subscription, or if you want to upgrade from your unplugged core membership to the party membership, just use promo code 2024 to direct support us with your Fiat Fund coupons, and we really appreciate it. Um, We no longer have Linode as a sponsor. Totally okay with that because, I mean, while we're sad to see them go, they were fantastic. They were great, great to work with, um, and just a great sponsor in general, and uh, worked with us for a nice long time, helped us go independent. So supremely grateful to them, and uh, we, uh, you know, if we ever get a chance, we'd love to work with them again. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, we would, um, we're probably just going to look for new sponsorship opportunities. Hopefully somebody out there, maybe somebody in the audience is even interested in sponsoring but uh, for now, we'll just say go become a member and help support us directly. Maybe we won't even need to fill this spot. That'd be nice. Yeah. Wouldn't that be? Unplugcore.com or uh, link in the show notes to go directly to the $3 off forever. Use promo code 2024. 50 signups only, though. That's not going to last long. Now, many of you took the challenge with us, the 32-bit challenge. If you'd like to share your experience, you can share that with us linuxunplugcom slash contact, or even in our matrix room, we have a special 32-bit matrix room with about uh, 20 people who did the challenge with us. So we'd love to hear your experience. Let us know, I don't know, how you conquered your memory. <laughs> or didn't, that's okay too. Or, yeah, fair enough. Or maybe <laughs> even with some of these tips, you want to take the challenge over again. I don't know. Maybe you're crazy. Uh, but one thing we did talk about along with this challenge was setting up a BBS So if you'd like to set up a BBS, which we didn't quite get to, uh, we would love that. So we're asking, if anyone wants to run an official BBS, you can be the official Unplugged Program (laughs) BBS. So it's a bit of a challenge within a challenge. If you boost in with your stood-up BBS that you think might handle a little bit of our traffic, you might just become the official Unplugged BBS. So stand one up, let us know. We would love that. It's something we didn't get to. We played around with it a little bit. We wanted to run it on 32-bit hardware. When we talked about containers that will pull down and just try to execute but then fail, that's an example of one of them that we tried. Yeah. But, you know, now that the challenge is over, we thought it would be fun to have a BBS, if maybe have the official Linux Unplugged BBS, kind of whoever claims it first, as long as it can work and has some things to do on it. It'd be really neat if anybody's interested. Maybe. Are there any matrix bridges for BBS? Oh, maybe. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) The challenge deepens. Well, our buddy Olympia Mike also took the challenge along with us and even wrote in about it. Happy 2024. I realize that I've been a Jupiter Party member for well over a year at this point and love it. Thank you, Mike. For anyone out there that wants to support the show directly but can't wrap their head around Boost, I highly recommend becoming a member. Well, Mike took on the 32-bit challenge over the Christmas break using a Dell D820 with a Centrino processor, <laughs> three gigs of RAM, and a spinning oh. rust drive. Oh. oh. 
He's really taking it. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. After failing to set up Peppermint, the 32-bit version, and NixOS 32-bit, <laughs> ouch, Mike landed on Debian 32-bit with XFCE. Uh, I'm sensing a common path here, huh? And despite some challenges and limitations due to things like lack of Chromium and Electron, Mike managed to set up a PHP, MySQL, and Nginx stack, and even managed to use the system for coding and production work wow. for six days. Well done, That's sir. Impressive. Well done. He also mentioned that just using the web was kind of hit and miss, especially because a lot of sites with a lot of JavaScript just <laughs> crawled. Yeah, amen there. Yeah, yeah. Wraps up by saying, <laughs> it was so fun. I ended up writing an article about my experience, too. Thanks again for a fun thing to do over the holidays while my life, while my wife shook her head and wondered why anyone would do this to themselves. <laughs> yeah, she's not wrong. I wondered that too. Thank you, Mike. I will link to his blog posts. Uh, he had a great one about his experiences. I'll put that in there. Um, it was kind of fun. I did make that joke to a couple of people because I had the laptop out. I was like, oh, yeah, you check out my new laptop? <laughs> just to confuse them you know it's got these nice media control buttons right here on yeah. the front yeah yeah you know i i had half considered taking mine to berlin with me on my international oh, trip because mine is pretty small compared to yours True. And, uh, yeah. uh in the end i decided probably that was a bad idea and it stayed home in the cabin and now it is time for le boost Yes, it is. And the Dude Abides comes in as our first baller of the year with a lead old baller boost of 133,700 sats. Hey, Using the new fountain. And he just comes in and says, Happy New Year. Thank you, dude. Yeah, thank you very much, dude. Eric boosts in with 100,000 sats. Nick's gone, North America, let's go. Yeah. I'm not sure if I can make it, but would love to hear y'all cover it. Okay. Yes, sir. And I'm with you on the importance of skip intro. And it's kind of a bummer with it really missing on Jellyfin. Yeah, I've, I have been, even through the holiday, you know, we've been watching shows and stuff, been catching up on For All Mankind. Oh, nice. Hard recommend. Uh, but it's got a long intro, boys. <laughs> It's got a long one. And man, so I'm sitting there doing the manual fast forward and scrubbing on the timeline. And then try, oh, God, I miss it. There's plugins, but it's not at the level of Plex. No. Plex makes it nice and smooth. I really can't comprehend why people give you flack for it. I, well, you know what? It, they don't <laughs> understand because they, they're not trying to watch Star Trek Enterprise or For All Mankind, Eric. It's, I feel seen, though. I feel seen. You know, I recently got into Mythbusters again. And oh, yeah. uh, their intro is like a minute 30, and it kind of gives away the episode. So I always want to skip it. It's been painful. <laughs> yeah. Eric continued, uh, my wife knows that internally I'm annoyed whenever the skip intro button doesn't come up in Jellyfin. Now, this part's very interesting. On a different note, services.postgresql backup on NixOS saved me. I was upgrading image and going through the motion of upgrading when I upgraded to a two new version of pgvector.rs and it broke image. Uh -oh. Combined with services.borg backup, I was easily able to fetch an older version of my database, restore it, downgrade, and was back up and running. What a neat little success story. And also, uh, I'm sorry I had to go through that, but thank you for sharing. Sounds like services.postgresql backup is something we need to look into, West Pine. I think so. Hmm. Chris is editing his config as we I speak. I <laughs> was looking it up right then. I'm going to take a look at this. I'm running an image. 
I guess I just got a loaded full of photos. Loaded. Jagbert boosted in earlier today with a hundred thousand Satoshis. Thank you very much. That's my very first boost. I've been listening for over a decade, and I'm looking forward to MixCon and scale content. Wow, J3, thank you. I am amazed we're still hearing from long-timers, and I always want to say thank you. I know the initial setup process. It's not necessarily obvious. There's not a great guide out there. It is a bit of a hike. We really, really, really appreciate you doing that hike. Welcome. It's all downhill from here, though. Well, not downhill in terms of content. (laughs) Downhill in terms of how much effort it takes. <laughs> yeah. I should come up with a better analogy. We look forward to your continued boost. We're <laughs> talking with you. Uh, boost you back later. Yeah, if you got a better take on that, boost that in. <laughs> I need to do a better job. Goose comes in with 60,000 sats. Use some breeze. Says, Merry Christmas. I'm looking forward to meeting you in Austin. Oh, right on, Goose. Oh, nice. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to that as well. Thought Criminal comes in with 48,240 sats. Scale! California! (laughs) Yes. On with the show. Thank you, Thought Criminal. Well, Hybrid Sarcasm came in with 42,000 sats. Via Castamat. The answer to the ultimate question. Inspired by the 2023 boosties, here's the first of many boosts to make sure I'm on the leaderboard <laughs> for the 2024 boosties. He's got a plan. I like it. <laughs> nice and steady. And uh, just to help you along your journey, I did add a brand new 42 soundbite. The answer to the ultimate question. So we've got a scale soundbite. If you boost in uh, for a little scale love. <laughs> And a 42. Make it so. So, boost in. Mentac comes in with 22,301 sats using Podverse. Postal codes with letters are awkward, but there's half of mine. If the first two and the last two digits represent letters, it should at least point to half my town. Hope to see you guys at Linux Fest Northwest. Yes. Yes. Mentat. All right. So, geez, Wes, that's a hard one. I mean, you got... Oh, good, you brought the map. Yeah, it doesn't have a translator in it, though. Okay, so um, if the first two and last two digits represent letters, um, could it be something like CC3AB if you have zero as A? Or does it mean that, like, you have to pair them up? You know, they're not individual ones, so is it something like... 22301. Oh, Brantley's got a converter over there. I have a theory. Okay. Here, here's here's one we can try to decode. So if you take the first two digits, which are 22, is that maybe the position in the alphabet? And then the three and zero one being A, for instance. So I'm just, a, I'm, I'm using postal codes as in maybe it's Canadian or something, a system I'm familiar with. It's letter number letter. So that's my theory. I think All you're right. onto something because, because uh, uh, what we've got twenty two. Uh, that's V. So is it V three A? If we plug that in, well, Google says it's a postal code in British Columbia, which would make sense if they're going to come down for Linux Fest Northwest. Boys, I think you solved it. Maybe uh, Langley is that your town? Let us know about that. Thank you for boosting in. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the assist, Brent. Yeah, yeah. Nice job, Brentley. Go team. Woodcarver boosts in with 22,222 cents. Hey, that's a row of McDucks. Things are looking up for old McDuck. 
For the 32-bit challenge, the only, only machine I had laying around was my Amiga 1200. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. It okay. actually sports a Motorola 68020 <laughs> processor. Yeah, go. buddy. Yeah, the old Motorola 6800 series. The first 32-bit 68K CPU. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I used to, I used to have one in a Mac, though. <laughs> yeah. Today I used it to write a document, and then I played some stunt car racer. Oh. That's as far as I'll get on this challenge, though. Well done. Wow. Nice. Well done. Neat. I, I, I don't know why, but I have nostalgia for those 68K CPUs. Um, that was the first computer I ever got to 16 megabytes of RAM. It came from the factory with two. I slowly oh. got it to four, and then I maxed it at 16 megabytes. That must have been luxurious. And even back then, I was using RAM compression. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> now, the open source accountant boosted in two boosts for a total of 3,500 sats using Fountain. I got my I Voted sticker from the Golden Dragon Shop, and I wanted to say thank you to JB for connecting me with my new non-profits sticker vendor. Oh, very good. You're definitely going to have to do some accounting on the transfer of assets related to boosts. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that's definitely a thing. Um, but, you know, it's a thing like uh, like for all things like in business. You know, I thought about this. If I were to do, say, transactions where we just took it, the money, that there would still we would still have to, A, do the transaction fees on that and do the same accounting mm. for the revenue on that. So as far as a business accounting, it's just a different style. Uh, Faraday Fedora comes in with Raw Ducks. Merry Christmas, you guys. It was an awesome year. I'm not going to do the 32-bit challenge because you're braver men than I. <laughs> well, we'll take the boost, Faraday. Thank or you very foolish? much. Uh, something. Yeah. Batvin123 comes in with 5,500 sats. Cow goes boost. Boost. And Merry Christmas. Now, Tom's dad boosted in 5,000 sats. Saying, here's a video from an excellent YouTuber about how to control your Max Air fan. Enjoy. Yes, I did, Tom's dad. Well, so that basically confirmed everything I suspected. It is a lot of work, uh-huh. but it is exactly kind of the work that I conceptualized. So I think I could do it. But you're taking the thing apart and whatnot still. So, and they're brand new fans. So I'll do it when we service them at some point uh-huh. or when the board dies from moisture and I have to replace <laughs> a new board. I'll wire this up. Yeah. I am so all in on automation, though. It is game-changing for comfort and quality of life. Game-changing. And I, I think, I don't know how on board the kids are. I don't, they don't mm. know life otherwise. Right. But the wife's on board, so that, that, that's what matters. So are the mice. I do catch the mice. I do. Storm Clouds comes in with 7,000 sats using Fountain. Says, I tried Fountain off and on, and I'm going back to AntennaPod, which I hear that a lot. And you know what I thought was really awesome? is Oscar, the core developer of Fountain, actually reached out to StormClouds and started talking to them, trying to figure out what's not working for them because they have a brand new 1.0 release. It's it's tricky because AntennaPod's at a different part of its life. It's yeah. sort of at, not the tail end, but the mature end of a cycle. It's been around for a while. Whereas Fountain was just kind of going from startup now to kind of, it's just re- reached 1.0 and it's brilliant. And now they're kind of entering you know, the early stage of refinement, but it's going to be still a few years of that early stage. But the stuff they're adding is so great, especially if you want to try out some of these new music podcasts. Something really special happening over in the music value-for-value podcast while the rest of the podcasting, quote-unquote, industry is collapsing. Yives comes in with 3,000 sets. Thanks for the great show, guys. Happy holidays. Zach Attack also comes in with 5,000 sets. Wow, I didn't realize I'd boosted in that much over the year. 
Thank you for the great commentary, reviews, and news. I look forward to listening through 2024. And Wes, you see that? Mr. Casaversa right there with Aroa Ducks. Don't distro hop and didn't feel well informed enough to weigh in on a desktop. That's why I abstained from a desktop vote. Fair enough. Yeah, we asked for that feedback and I appreciate it. Yeah. And there's a lot of folks that just don't hop around anymore. You just, you know, something's working for you. I It's kind of a nice place to be, actually. Yeah, you can get the work done that we're all tweaking. <laughs> now, Ambient Noise came in with 7,860 sats. says, I think some form of preferential voting in the tuxies is required next year if you want to keep the Hall of Fame candidates in the race. Just a first and second preference would likely do. And in a second boost, I love the predictions episode each year. It's always fun. Here's a few more. I predict that by the end of 2024, we will see the first non-Valve handheld running official Steam OS. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I should have. I want uh, after the episode. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should. Uh, dang it. Okay, good for you. Well done. I like that one. And a second prediction. I predict that by the end of 2024, a local large language model AI will be integrated into at least one service or app to passively monitor open mic or user type text to get a better context for ad targeting, therefore bypassing privacy laws, as it's not passing direct recording or transcriptions back to that ad company. Oh, okay. I say no. But I, I like that prediction. I just think. I sure hope not. I, you know how many of the normies out there are convinced their phone is constantly listening to them? <laughs> it's a totally normal thing now. Like, Google, I went on Google and knew exactly that I was looking for socks or I went on Facebook. It's like, yeah, dude, they've been, sca- they've been monitoring you for a decade. They, they basically <laughs> modeled your profile or your, your personality. It's, it, it, you think these things have endless battery life and bandwidth to just monitor you and stream that back to their servers constantly? Do you, ma- <laughs> you imagine the scale of that? So. I'm not convinced we're going to see AI local spying just because of the resources required. Where I thought you were going to go, and I do think this is going to happen, is Google Voice or um, Google Meet, I should say, or Zoom. will probably use some kind of AI monitoring to live filter out mic noise and typing. So you know how they already do kind of like background suppression and echo reduction? I think we're going to see an expansion where it's actually – it's literally watching for words – and you could even have it, you could even have it, oh man, I would love this. You could, especially in the Zoom setup where it's all server side, if you had a transcription, if it was doing real-time transcription and say you dropped out, you dropped packets, like say Brent is doing today. Hey now. Well, if it, if it has a transcription of everything before and after and it has a few milliseconds to figure it out, it could pretty quickly infer and then generate words to fill the That's drop packets. That's a fun idea. <laughs> well, was, can we get the other version where um you know we got the kind of crappy background filters can i just be like a digital puppet yes. for a version of me yes that's gonna be i think you can do it on the apple platforms oh but those are really good ambient thank you for boosting in too appreciate that uh i'm gonna say jack ryan comes in with oh my gosh our first baseballs boost of the episode so the combination is one two three four five that's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. No message necessarily, but still love the support. Grumpy Linux admin also came in with a Spaceballs boost. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. And a Grumpy Linux admin writes, I want to take a moment to express my gratitude for the countless hours of entertainment, education, and inspiration you all provided. Ah, oh, geez. Aww. Thank you for all your hard work, passion, for creating a platform that continues to enrich the lives of Linux enthusiasts oh. like myself. Gosh. I'm looking forward to all the future content you'll all produce 
and the impact it'll undoubtedly have on the Linux community. Wishing everyone in the JB team a continued success for 2024 and beyond. I'm not sure how useful this episode will be for people's modern computing needs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say, for somebody that calls himself grumpy, that was pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Hydragyrum comes in with one, two, three, four, five cents. We're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. Thanks in part to your inspiration, I've started studying for a ham technician license, hoping to take the test in a few weeks. Also, proud of Nick's for double-topping the tuxies this year. Yeah, that was great to see. Good luck on the test, and hey, you're going you're gonna to beat us. we got to catch up. I know. Do keep us posted, though. It'll inspire us. Good old Gene Bean boosted in two rows of ducks. Double duck. Hey there, Gene Bean. How you doing? For what it's worth, if you're just counting invoices to evaluate app usage, your data will be majorly flawed as every single app batches (laughs) streaming stats differently. For example, if app A tries to be more efficient and send fewer invoices by batching based on particular value versus app B that sends every 30 seconds regardless of amount, then app A is going to look underrepresented, even if the same number of episodes were listened to at the same number of sats. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. a fair point. We were kind of going for like a rough shot, but after the show, we talked about ways of refining that down a little bit because really you sort of built the system to figure all that out for the boosties. And now we're kind of in, we're going to have the year to refine it. Yeah, really. We sort of the, uh, the stats we had, not the stats we should on that one. Yeah, incredible stats though, regardless. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun to poke more at it. I mean, there's, there's so much value in the, in them, their boosts. The Gene of the Bean continued with, thanks for the great show and being willing to hear the community's thoughts. You're all making this a two-way medium, and it's meant so much more fun and interesting as a show. This is a key differentiator for podcasts that have boosts, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we went from essentially emulating radio, where it was a one-way medium, to a whole other level of integration with the audience in a much more two-way street. Um, and like to to that point, we have the live stream. That's another that's another way we can do that. Uh, Real time feedback. You ready for it? You ready for it? California. They hate it. So we got to get a new sound bite, a new sound drop. Somebody come in with something nice and tight. I say four seconds or less. Five seconds at max. Four seconds. Four seconds max. With a, with a California sound bite, you don't mind hearing. Otherwise, you're gonna have to listen to that crap. You're gonna have to. Li- that's uh, uh, this is one way to sort of. I know, right? Uh, uh, I know. Master Reboot comes in with 5,000 sats using Fountain. It's his first time booster, but long time listener. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate that. That, that is a long hill to climb at first. So I just want to say thank you for your quick response on Telegram about setting up a Bitcoin node and wallet. I also want to say thank you to the Bitcoin dad. It was his very first episode that got me into Bitcoin. And I want to thank the JB community and specifically the Bearded Tech and DPG who are always quick to help. Aww. One of these days, I hope to attend a meetup, sending good vibes from Ohio. P.S. I've got five years of boosting to catch up on, so stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Congratulations to you on getting all that set up. It's so fun to get it all self-hosted. Self-hosted open source money. It's been quite a ride these last couple of years, and we're glad you're on board. Magnolia Mayhem comes in with 10,000. 101 sats. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to play this. If you don't like it, I'm not going to play the scale boost. I'm not going to play it. Let's make that trip happen. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciated, Magnolia. Yes. This is really something. This is really something to be able to do this because I, I don't know how else we, uh, this year we were going to ever make this trip. 
and we haven't been to scale since before COVID. Do and we then ha- have NextCon there too. Do we have like a binary boost? Because that could, you know, got zeros and ones here. Yeah, I mean, beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop. I got start. I, how about how about <laughs> this? I am programmed in multiple techniques. All right, there you go. Okay, we need a better sound drum. I just I. I gotta say, I've never been to scale. Can you believe that? Let's get Brent to this scale. Is, this is a milestone for a lot of reasons. <laughs> All right, speed round. Torp comes in with eleven thousand one hundred and one sats using Podverse. I thought this might make for an interesting boost, but does why doesn't Cubes OS get any love on the show? What's wrong with us? You know, it's I think not thirty-two bit. We, we could go. We could go back to Cubes OS. I think we've done it. Uh, I don't find it to be particularly practical, except for certain edge scenarios. I think like tails on a disposable system is probably a lot more practical for most use cases where people use cubes, but I do respect it as a project and a technology. It'd be kind of fun to do like a little, see see how we could make it work, maybe set up a Bitcoin node on it or something. Uh, post show idea on that. Andre 2K comes in with Spaceballs boost one, two, three, four, five sats. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> Happy New Year. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. And don't burn down your houses, he says. Hey, mission succeeded over here. I, I, I almost did earlier. Really? <laughs> right before the show, I oh, left yeah. my uh, my stove on while, while we're doing the pre-show. Don't do that. Brand, he's referring to fireworks. Oh, right. Same fireworks. Um, we had a downpour. So uh, I had sparklers and a couple of ground things. So nothing too scary for the dog. But I was like having a hard time even getting them to light out in the woods. Uh, we're out in the Probably good thing because yeah. we're in the woods. We're in the woods. Probably a good thing. But um, eh, it was still enjoyable. Shy Fox comes in with 2,000 sats from the podcast index. Here's the first 2,000 sats from my IPFS node. Oh, okay. So the uh, quick little side note. IPFS podcasting is a thing where IPFS is the CDN to distribute the podcast. And instead of having that weird file coin involved, there is a split where when you boost, if the file's been hosted on IPFS podcasts, a split can go to the person hosting the file. ShyFox here has been doing that, and they just sent 2,000 sats from that. Nuts. That's crazy. Thank you. Also sent their config on how they're doing it on NixOS. Wow. I'll be taking a look at that. I know that we were getting kind of excited about it. I kind of pulled back for a bit, but it sounds like there's going to be a solution for having your own gateway, essentially. Oh, neat. So I think once that gets solved, where we can have our own redirect and not dependent on somebody else's redirect, we can host our own infrastructure. I think then that's pretty much the last piece for us. But thank you, everybody who boosted in. I think that's all the boosts uh, below the cutoff. It was really nice seeing those come in over the holidays. We had 37 boosters for this episode. And we stacked 659,959 sats. Thank you, everybody. That is fantastic. And we'll put that, we're putting that whole bounty towards uh, our scale goal. That's what we're doing with these, with these first batch until we get to scale. So thank you, everyone that helped us get there. We're putting that right to work. If you're looking for an excuse to boost in, the topics that we're really, really pushing for right now, because we just like to hear from you, is tell us your struggles with getting Linux on low-end hardware. The reality is... Doesn't really matter if it's 32 bit or not. Misery just loves company. We'd love to know your stories. Share those on air because it is something really unique to free software. Even though it can be a struggle, let us know. And of course, we're putting all those boosts towards scale. We have 67 days until scale. That means we have 11 episodes of Linux Unplugged left until we need to be on the road driving. Ooh. So we'd love to get there. We're more than halfway there, but we're not all the way to scale yet. So please do boost in. I think 
I think it's time to try out Fountain. Fountain 1.0 is a killer release, fountain.fm. They make it very easy. It integrates with Strike now, so you can top off your boost balance super easy with the Strike app. Strike's available in 36 countries. It's run by a great set of individuals, solid company that's based on open source tech. So it's a really nice stack, and you can boost right in very easily and support the show, or you can stream those sats. That's also just very appreciated, and it's something you can just set and forget. Shout out to our sat streamers who just set that, lay back, and enjoy the content and support while they listen. That's all really appreciated, as well as our members at UnpluggedCore.com. Now, we do have a pick before we run, boys. Are you ready for what I found? Oh, surprise pick. Linux Terminal Tools from Terminal Trove. So Terminal Trove curates and tries to showcase, and they're growing, but they're working on trying to make terminal apps better known and showcase what they're great at. And I have linked us to the Linux Terminal Tools because, honestly, the terminal was a really nice go-to solution in a pinch. And there's a lot more on this list than you probably have heard. Some of these you'll know, no doubt about it, but there's some that you probably haven't heard of yet. You can find it just uh, by going to terminaltrove.com, but I've linked specifically to the Linux category in there. I'm going to try out Frogmouth, a markdown browser for your terminal. <laughs> okay. I'd like to see that, actually. That seems kind of neat. That seems kind of neat. Thank you, everybody, for listening to. We always just appreciate you tuning in and catching us every single week and spend a little bit of your time with us. It's always just uh, fantastic. You can always take you to the next level. You could listen live. We're back on our Sunday time slot. Sundays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. You get a little bit more show there. You can always join the Mumble Room and get that low latency Opus feed. And if you're a member, you get double the content. You get that whole live stream. You don't miss anything. And that Lup Lug is in that Mumble Room. You can hang out with them, too. It's just a nice experience. Just It's kind of fun for all of us, and it gives the show a nice live energy. But we'll put links to everything we talked about so you can always just listen on demand and get links. That'll be at linuxunplugged.com slash 544. Thank you so much for being here. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. And don't forget, there's a network of shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Mike just got the most baller workstation. And he's uh, all in on the workstation lifestyle. We get into that on Coda Radio. And then Alex and I went through our top apps and services for our home lab throughout all of 2023 and rounded them up for a major episode. And Brentley joins us. And that is a big one. That and more over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Thank you, everyone. Really appreciate you. Share the show. Send some love. Spread the word. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday.